Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You guys, Ooh. it's breaking gals news. <laughs> we are going back on tour with live in-person shows. Oh my god. It's only been three several years, years <laughs> since uh. the last time we did that. We're a little rusty. You're not going to want to miss this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, please don't throw tomatoes at us. We are going to Texas, y'all. Yeehaw! <laughs> How do you like me now? Um, Texas tea. What's our first stop? Ooh, well, first, we're going to be in Houston on Wednesday, June 8th at White Oak Music Hall. We have absolutely loved this venue in the past. We can't wait to go back, and the doors for that show are at 7 p.m. Yep, Mm -hmm. Wednesday, June 8th in Houston, Mm -hmm. 2022. Yep. The very next day, Thursday, June 9th, we're going to be in Austin. All an ass to Austin in a van. We love (laughs) Austin. Mm -hmm. So that show is at the stateside at the Paramount. Oh, love that venue so much. If you know, you know. It's a Mm -hmm. great venue. And last but not least, the gals are going to do Dallas. Oh, we're doing Dallas. We got a live (laughs) show at the Southside Music Hall Saturday, June 11th. So, Dallas, we love to see you. You're a great town. Yeah, and for tickets to any of these shows, you can head to our website, wineandcrimepodcast.com. These are up. They are for sale. And we want to see you. We do. And if you have very specific questions about the shows or about the venue or tickets or parking, please contact the venues directly because we... We know nothing. We know nothing. We barely know what we're doing, but we will be there on time. (laughs) Woohoo! Can't wait to see you in Texas. See you soon. You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Which basically just sound like mom accents. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. I have been tagged in the, like, arguing Minnesota moms over hot dogs and brats TikTok approximately 900 times I've never seen that. Well, I'll send it to you. Okay. Uh, I'll send it your way so you can be part of my pain. Is it just arguing what is a hot dog versus what is a brat? No. Or which is better? They're preparing for a barbecue, and one of the moms only got brats, but not everybody likes brats, so mm. she didn't get hot dogs and I a don't whole like thing. Brats. It's I, a, I love brats. I, I like brats. brats, but kids tend to prefer hot yeah. dogs. They're oh, too yeah. sausagey for me. I don't like the spice. I don't like the flavor. Wow. Mm. See, that's what I like about them. Yep. Mm. Same. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm. who are we besides brat or dog lovers? Oh, right. I'm I'm Kenyan. I'm a brat girl. Mm-hmm. I'm Lucy. I'm a hot dog, but a natural casing girl. Oh, okay. I'm Amanda. I'm a brat style. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of are a new wave brat style. My yeah, bad. you really I'll take are. It. <laughs> I love that. High praise. High praise. 
Yes, sure. praise. Woo. <laughs> the silence. <laughs> High praise. I'll take that as a compliment. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my lamp. Being I'm a fine. Libra. Okay. I am fine. Okay. So we have a very special fan pick this week brought to you by Jordan Brown. And Jordan has selected the topic of Scottish crimes. Scottish. Yeah. And we are probably going to... Merky Bray. Merky Bray. We're probably going to attempt some Scottish accents. It's not going to go great. I also no. haven't looked at my Scottish Gaelic Duolingo in approximately seven months. Yep. <laughs> so... That bout of mania has passed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was really intense for like a re- an oddly long time. It I, was a lot. It lasted a while. I yeah. got very Way too far. long. Yeah. I was like Way too long. really was, good at it. It's not great. I hated it. <laughs> My annual fee just renewed, so I think I'm going to have to get back into it. Well, at least we'll have some plane rides to be on in the coming months that you That's can practice true. on. Don't I want you practice to practice out loud. Toggle that off. I was literally just going to say, I want you to order, like, d- say Diet Coke, please, in Gaelic. <laughs> um, shit, I can't remember anything. I cannot remember anything. It's it so might sad. come back to you through this episode. Yeah. It might. Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna get back into it. Anyway, it's fine. Jordan, our fan picker, has decided to dedicate this episode to their sister slash BFF slash gateway gal, Kendra. Oh, hello, Kendra. Shout Top out. of the morning to you. Mm. Shout out, Kendra. Everyone thinks Whatever, it's fine. my name is your name. Mm. <laughs> Lacey Kendra. and Kendra. <laughs> yeah. Big Lacey shout out to you Kendra. from Armando, Lacey, and mm-hmm. Kendra. What? The, where the fuck does Lacey come from? I get called Lacey like a lot. Yeah. Mm. Lacey. Mm-hmm. Wow. Anyway, I don't get it. When Lucy is the more common classic name who knows they're both pretty common but they i don't know how you get those mixed up anywho amanda what is our wine crime pairing for scottish crimes well our fan picker also made a um a recommendation to drink scotch oh and i (laughs) have been in a constant cycle of is it allergies or is it covid and i've been testing every day and it is not covid Mm -hmm. but i'm not fucking drinking scotch i'm not Mm -hmm. fucking drinking anything today but i thought i would i am always wondering like oh what's the difference between scotch and whiskey and blah 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 oh my god that's one of my fun facts yeah so i just have six quick fun facts about scotch. Okay. To, and if, and if us. you want to be drinking scotch, then more go power ahead. to you. I, yeah. I don't want heartburn after don't. smelling it one time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm smell, it's not, I don't understand it, how people can enjoy scotch. I can't do I'm brown liquor, up. but yeah, people really like it. And I mean, if you can train your palate, you can find a lot of incredible flavors and nuances. I just have not been able to train my palate. It's not for me. I like it in a cocktail. Like, well, I like whiskey mm-hmm. and bourbon in a cocktail. Um, but 
No, I can't drink it straight. I can't straight. do it straight. No, 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 no. I can drink very little straight anymore anyway, just yeah. in general. I'm when, old. When I lived with the men's rugby team in college, there a was a scotch. lot of standing with all the injured players on the sidelines. <laughs> and then they would just pass a bottle of scotch in a brown oh, paper bag that. down the line and we would just all take pulls. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's uh, no, no, the no, last no, no. time I drank it straight. Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to throw up. Okay. <laughs> Fact number one. We're fine. Scotch can only be made in Scotland, so it's like champagne. Mm-hmm. Fact number two. Scotch must be matured in oak casks for a minimum of three years and have a minimum ABV of 40%. Holy oh, shit. They don't fuck around. That's, yeah. That'll that put some hair on your chest. And face and feet and hands. <laughs> Fact number three. Only three basic raw materials are used to make scotch. Water, cereals, and yeast. So cereals would probably be just like grain, mm-hmm. wheat, whatever they're using. Fact number four. A blended scotch whiskey can contain over 100 different scotch whiskeys, although usually between 20 and 40 is what they do. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot of different shit to blend into well, one Well, when you thing. think about it, though, if you're making all these different scotches and then you have like leftovers in the barrels... Mm. then it's it's upcycling. It's zero waste. Mm. Then you blend all these scotches, scotch whiskeys, and then you make a blended scotch whiskey and you can use the remaining runoff, the backwash, if you will. <laughs> oh, yum. <laughs> Fact number five. <laughs> We're really selling scotch. Yeah, I'm not a scotch person. Is how many scotch companies are going to be banging on my door to offer me a jab in sales? Dad, I'll sell your scotch. Our friends, our, our friends, Bob and Frizz, uh, they're from, from Rhythm on the Rocks podcast right now are just like screaming into the void. Their eye is twitching. Yeah, if you actually care about scotch and or whiskey and or listen to that show listen to rhythm on the rocks and not us (laughs) but anyway back to sketch (laughs) the age the age on a bottle of any single malt or blended scotch whiskey refers to the youngest whiskey used to make the product so Mm. if you have a scotch whiskey with those like hundred different blends they gotta go with the youngest so they don't oversell it I guess, which I think is kind of wild because then you could, you know, be sipping on something that's, Quite you know, old. an 80 year and it's labeled as a 20 year. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe they save those for higher end blends. I would imagine. But yeah. And fun fact number six. There are over 100 distilleries in Scotland and every drop of scotch in the world will have come from one or more of them. Because again, scotch has to be made in Scotland. And Scotland is not that big in terms no. of, like, size and or population. No. And 100 distilleries is not that many to supply the world mm-hmm. with scotch. They must have kind of a amazing. shitload of barrels. Yeah. Like, they must just be very large distilleries. I know. It's mm-hmm. wild. So, yeah, those are my scotch fun facts. I am not touching it. <laughs> I'm drinking water. 
I am nope. also drinking water. Not doing it. Not <laughs> doing it. Ugh. Cheers, everyone. We're old. We're fucking old. <laughs> the thought of scotch made me gag. Mm-hmm. I know. I can't. It's mm-hmm. it's rough stuff. Cheers. But it's interesting. So there's that. That was fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God cheers. bless. All right. Well, Lucy, what's our background and maybe psych? For Scottish crimes. Ooh. No psych. Oh, I got to get something. Hold on. One. Is it, is it a jar of bones? It, it sure is. is. I was going to say. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. I forgot the name of the person who sent it to me. But I think I think that they didn't know how big my jar of bones is, which is like a small-ish sized mason jar full of small goat tail bones. Mm-hmm. So this beautiful listener. Thank you so much for this. I was in shock when I received this in the mail. Oh, God. Apparently went to a goat farm, like a goat (gasps) goat milk and meat farm or something, Mm -hmm. and she asked the farmer if there were any bones lying around. (laughs) Y'all got any bones? Got any bones for my favorite podcaster? So. (laughs) Nothing weird about this. (laughs) I'm gonna measure this jar. Oh, my God. Lovely listener. Oh, it is... Oh. It's at least 10 inches tall. It sounds big. A jar <laughs> with like a tibia, a rib, a shoulder. It's a, a shoulder? It's a large jar of bones. And oh then they God. took their, is it cricket or cricut machine? I don't like know. A crafting machine and made mm. letters that says shake your goat bones on the jar. Oh, That's my God. So cute. How fun. Oh, my God. So, I'll I'll send me a pic. I'll yeah. post a pic with a dollar for reference size. <laughs> yes, for scale. <laughs> it's big. So no psych. So here we go. All right. Whoa. <laughs> okay. I had to wow. use two hands. <laughs> it's like a shake it's a weight. Shake weight. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a primitive shake weight. I love it. I love it too. So a thank primitive you to that shake person. Weight. I still have their note, but it's in a separate pile. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I have it somewhere. Anyway, no psych. Okay. So this is from Encyclopedia Britannica. Scotland, the most northerly of the four parts of the United Kingdom, occupying about one third or occupies about one third of the island of Great Britain. And first of all, I guess I don't know the difference between the United Kingdom and Great Britain. Mm, well, I think the only difference is that the United Kingdom includes Northern Ireland, which is on a separate island. Mm-hmm. So the so Great Britain is England, Scotland, and Ireland. No, Ireland is its own country. Oh, Great Britain. Oh, Wales. Is, yeah, Great Britain. I believe is. England, Scotland, and Wales. And then the UK is England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. I think. Mm. We'll Google it later. Okay. It's there's no way to know. Shockingly complicated in my mind. I whatever. I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> the name Scotland derives from the Latin Scotia, land of the Scots. A, like a, Nova Scotia? Yes. Yeah, New Scotland. Exactly. Oh my God, I just got that. Yes. A lot of <laughs> people. And you flew your Learjet up to Nova Scotia. 
They do have total So a lot of people who used to live in the highlands, like before the 18th century, started moving out of the highlands, probably like industrial revolution. They were just like, wow, there's an easier way to live. They were cleared off their land by greedy landlords who didn't want farmer tenants anymore and they wanted to clear their land for like hunting and like Mm. sheep grazing and so they forced off a bunch of poor people from their land and they went to Canada and the US. Sounds about right. Great. And other places. And like England and Ireland and Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a Perth Scotland and a Perth Australia. Yeah. Mm. And the Nova Scotia thing. Here we go. We're piecing together world history (laughs) bit by bit (laughs) as we go. The gals misremember world history. I will never get over Nova Scotia. (laughs) I will never recover from this. My my Scottish ancestors went to Canada first and then they made their way to North Dakota and then Minnesota. Okay, is it Celtic or Celtic? Celtic. Mm-hmm. Celtic is just the basketball team, yeah, right? Correct. Yeah. Or is it baseball? It's basketball. Basketball. basketball I'm in, pretty sure. It is basketball. It's a ball. In, it's in Boston, the Boston Celtics. Okay, so it's Celtic. So the mm-hmm. Scots were a Celtic people from Ireland who settled on the west coast of Great Britain in about the fifth century CE. The name Caledonia has often been applied to Scotland, especially Credonia. in poetry. Oh, Credonia. I wish. So Caledonia is derived from Caledoni or Caledoni, which is the Roman name of a tribe in the northern part of what is now Scotland. Okay. Lots of names going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just thought this was really, really cool. <laughs> in terms of like the landscape and like the early peoples, glacier activity prior to the Mesolithic period has destroyed evidence of human activity in the area So there may have been people around a super fucking long time ago, but Mm -hmm. it's believed that the first post-glacial groups of hunter-gatherers arrived in Scotland around 12,800 years ago. Dang. Feels like yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, Scotland was covered in forests. Uh, They had more bog land, and the main form of transportation was by water. Mm -hmm. Oh. Very uncomfortable. Did they Mm -hmm. have, like, canoes and stuff? Yeah, definitely. Cool. These settlers began building the first known permanent houses on Scottish soil around 9,500 years ago and the first villages around 6,000 years ago. In the northern and western isles, a lack of trees resulted in structures being built from local stone, and many structures, burial, and ritual sites are still preserved today. And this is the part that gives me goosebumps. This is the main reason I now want to go to Scotland. Wow, okay. An Fairy a- rings? An air- oh, yeah. Oh, better. It's called Scarabray or Scarabray. Murky Bray. Murky Bray. Bray. Is a Neolithic <laughs> complex that dates back to around 3,180 BCE, making it older than Stonehenge and the Great Pyramids. Whoa. So please go to the drive. This will be on the blog. I have, I think, four pictures of this area. Mm. So cool. Are you looking at it? It's Not so cool. Because I so forgot cool. to open the rest of my notes. It's That's basically okay. like they like dug out foundations and then built like stone <gasps> cool. slab walls. It's houses. a whole fucking compound. It's like really. <clears throat> they're hobbit holes. They're yeah. like hobbit holes. They're cute, cozy little hobbit houses. And oh my this God. is brilliant because they are 
like protected from the elements. They're naturally cool in the warm months, mm-hmm. and they're insulated and warm in the cold months. Mm-hmm. And it's windy as fuck, mm-hmm. so they don't have to deal with that shit. Yep. This is, I want to live in one of these. And this they're is right like, on the beach. So it's just so fucking cute. And then That's so cool. The one that shows the interior, they like yeah. set it up to look like how it looked at the time. They have like a tarp. Like they, there, there must have been like some sort of roof over it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want to camp. I want to glamp in these. Oh, yeah, I want to curl imagine? up on one of these sheepskin throws. Oh, it How looks romantic. so cozy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, light we'll a little fire sort of in the center. Oh, periodic porno set in one of these. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, called Murky Bray. Murky Bray. Murky Babes. There's a <laughs> hole in my tarpaulin roof. Okay. What can you do to fix it? <laughs> thatch my hole. Ew, thatch. What a <laughs> gross word. Okay. So I went down a little bit of a hole about Scara Bray. <laughs> a Bray hole. It. A Bray hole. <laughs> <laughs> I went down a Bray hole. You did. <laughs> K-hole, Bray hole. <laughs> okay. So despite historically being one of Europe's poorest countries, the people of Scotland have contributed greatly to the political and practical theories of progress. Scottish philosophers such as Francis Hutcheson, Adam Smith, and David Hume viewed humankind as a product of history and the pursuit of happiness as an inalienable right. This Uh progressive ideal contributed substantially to the development of modern democracy. Mm. They're just like, they had this really kind of mean, inhospitable land. So they're like a very hardy people and that just like, you know, make your own way, pursuit mm-hmm. of happiness, you know. This yeah, is don't Scottish tread people. on me. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Scotland and England have had a little bit of a rough history with each other. A bet. A bet. <laughs> Tumultuous. If you've ever seen Braveheart, which I will not be discussing William Wallace because he irks me. I will only be discussing Homunculus Wagner. (laughs) (laughs) Braveheart the movie, not at all historically accurate. Entertaining, but also fuck Mel Gibson. So we have a lot of tools. Also, the nickname Braveheart didn't even belong to William Wallace. It belonged to like another guy. Hmm. Robert the Bruce? Yes, Robert the Bruce. I don't know anything that you're talking about. So. <laughs> I'm just like, uh-huh, I hate what's-his-face. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. That's really what this boils down to. We don't like Mel Gibson. We're not talking about William Wallace. Okay. Here for it. For a very long time, Scotland had considered has considered itself a separate country, um, and it has bound itself to historical fact and legend alike in an effort to retain national identity as well as to the distinct dialect of English called Scots which we'll get to. Scottish poet Hugh McDiarmid. (laughs) Got it? McJarmich, I think. (laughs) McDirewolf. Hugh McDee proclaimed, quote, (laughs) So we have faith in Scotland's hidden poors, the presence theirs, but other past and futures (laughs) ours. Got it. Nailed it. No clue what you just said. I heard past and futures. I think that means 
we have faith in, in the strength of Scotland. The present might be theirs, meaning England's, but the past and the future is ours. Mm. Oh, oh, there's hidden like, powers. 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 This yeah, is okay. like the most sober and most confused <laughs> I've been during an episode. <laughs> I like cannot. Maybe, maybe I... Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I need booze to unlock my brain. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think this Maybe is that's just, why I didn't I do this, well in high school. Drink it up. This is just slightly outside of your wheelhouse, but we'll, get, we'll get more to things that you care about. Yes, Amanda, once I get to my fun facts, you'll be re-engaged. I, I want promise. sheep and I want murky braids. That's it. I don't have sheep. I got some weird shit coming your way. I was in Brigadoon. I should be into this. (laughs) It only appears every hundred years. (laughs) Oh, you'll like this part. So there is a 336 pound sandstone rock, which is called the Stone of Scone. Scone. Scone, a.k.a. the Stone of Destiny. (laughs) Which has been been long associated with the crowning of Scottish kings. Legend ha- legend says that it once had a plaque on it that translated to, unless the fates be faulty grown and the prophet's voice be vain, where'er is found this sacred stone, the Scottish <laughs> race shall reign. Incredible. <laughs> so the stone of Scone was stolen. <laughs> In 1296, by the English and taken to England, where it was placed in Westminster Abbey under the coronation chair. So the Scots were pissed about that for hundreds of years. Give back our shit. Yeah, don't take our stoon. So that the stoon was stolen in (laughs) 1296. And on Christmas Day in 1950... A group of Scottish nationalists took it back to Scotland. They broke in and stole it back. Cool. West Capture the flag, Abbey. baby. Correct. Literally, it was. It was like under the a, throne. There's mm-hmm. like f- a movie about it. I don't know how accurate the movie is, but let's pretend 100%. And <sighs> it was like four students, and they just hatched this plot, and they had a budget of like 100 pounds Amazing. <laughs> and uh, like a shitty little car. And they literally broke into Westminster Abbey and stole this stone. Sco- stone. That's epic. I have this got to watch me that movie. Of so Minnesota soldiers stole it's like some like West Virginia or somebody's fucking Confederate flag during like that war. <laughs> the Civil <And> War. <laughs> you know, the big one. <laughs> And they've been asking for it back for, like, (laughs) decades and decades and decades. And Minnesota's just like, no, we're not giving it back. You don't need it. And it's, like, stored underneath, like, the state capitol. Come and get it. Like, it's not on display. Come and get it. It's like, we took this. You can't have it. You lost. Yeah, (laughs) bye-bye. That's a traitor's flag. Mm -hmm. It means nothing, and you don't get to have it. Yeah, well, but they like still in modern day are asking for it back as part of their like state history. It's like okay. no, no. Normally, I am all for returning stolen items from like museums and shit. Right, but fuck the Confederacy. Not mm-hmm. a captured Confederate flag. Light it on fire. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Agreed. 
well, that's more justifiable than this because England just took it, I think, right. to be dicks because it had so much cultural importance to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to put it under their own throne, it's just like, no, that's fuck fucking. Yourselves. And that's where all the colonialism English bullshit. kings and queens were crowned, still are. Yep. So, Coronation chair. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's so, sending a very specific message. Yeah. Yeah. So this group of Scottish nationalists took it back to Scotland, but then the gr- go- British government re-stole it and brought it back to the Abbey. So this is in the 50s. Finally, in 1996, exactly 700 years after it was first stolen from Scotland, the stoon was returned to Edinburgh. The stoon. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. And if that wasn't enough of a win, Scotland elected its own goddamn parliament in 1999, which was the first time it had power over its own affairs since 1707 when it was merged with England to form the United Kingdom. Protect the steam! And I think I think it was returned to Edinburgh, but there's some deal where like the next like every time the English king or queen is newly crowned, they have to like Borrow send it, it back. Yeah, they have to like lend it back to England for the coronation and then it goes God. back to Scotland. It's like the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's so, so dumb. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's really heavy and it's really just a rectangular rock. It's, it's a stoom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you do you. Mm-hmm. You stoon you. You stoon you. So normally, as you know, I like to make fun of the flag of whatever area we're talking about, but there just isn't really much to write home about, about Mm -hmm. Scotland's flag. It's actually fairly tasteful. It's just a white X-shaped cross against blue. And my favorite part is that there is no official mandate for what shade of blue. It's just defined as azure. So some flags are like a navy blue. Some are like a robin's egg blue. Hmm. They're just kind of nice. Whatever Weird. goes better with your palate. Exactly. Love yeah. that. That's a freedom summer right or there. A winter. Yeah, exactly. That, that's freedom it right there. Depends on your skin tone, your hair color, your eye color, mm-hmm. which we'll also get to. The design of the flag is also known as the Saltier or St. Andrew's Cross because it's believed that St. Andrew was martyred via crucifixion. Mm. Okay, Amanda, you can plug back in now. Here are some fun facts about Scotland. <laughs> okay. And they've got a lot of really I fun like facts. I like I know, I know. (laughs) Lots of fun facts about Scotland. I was really impressed. So Scotland has three official languages. The first is English. Go figure. The second is Scots. And the third is Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic. (laughs) Gaelic bread. So English is self-explanatory. Scots is an indigenous language of Scotland thought to be an ancient variety of English. And Scots is spoken by about 1.5 million people in Scotland. Cool. And Gaelic. New Duolingo. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we get the like classic Scottish words that we think of, like we and lassie and yeah, mm-hmm. all that shit. Yeah, because that's not Gaelic. That's Scots. Yeah, and Gaelic is spoken by only about eighty-seven thousand people plus Kenyan. Yeah, which is why it's so important that Kenyan learn it because it's going to take the world by storm. Ten thousand hours learning it. <laughs> Whatever, it's fun God. and I like it. Okay, I'm getting back into spent it. Ten thousand hours learning Scottish Gaelic. No, are you going to become like the fluent just to spite us? Yeah, <laughs> scared. Zach has said like we want to do a big family trip to Scotland um, at some point, like my whole extended family. Mm-hmm. But Zach has said that 
we he refuses to go unless I can get a Gallic speaking guide and only speak to the guide in Gallic the entire time we're on the trip. Oh my god. Well, have fun on that trip. All right, get to work. Log those hours. So that's my goal. (laughs) Love it. It's my short-term goal to become fluent in Gaelic. Alexander Graham Bell was from Scotland. No way. Yeah, way. That sounded like Gaelic. Scotland is home to the tallest waterfall in Britain, and its name, ooh, I'm going to nail this, Eos a Chual Aluin. I don't know. Eos a Chual Aluin. Nailed it. A loin. Yes. I'm guessing. A loin cloth. A loin cloth. <laughs> that was a guess. I'm loin cloth right now. A loin. <laughs> or it could be a loin. I don't know. It That sounded exactly the same. Yeah, okay. uh, I was like, was there a difference? <laughs> <laughs> this waterfall, a loin, is 658 feet tall, which is three times the height of Niagara Falls. Wow. It's a big fucker. She's a big one, yeah. The Scottish a big fucker. Mm-hmm. Look at that fucker. <laughs> Look at those fuckers. The Scottish <laughs> Islands are also home to some of the tallest peaks in the UK. Very misty, very pretty. Very tall. Lots of sheep. Apparently not a lot of farmers mm. anymore. The Highlands are also where the lo- where Loch Ness is and therefore mm-hmm. home to the Loch Ness Monster. Mm. And speaking of which, there is another Loch Monster in Loch Morar, mm. and her name is Morag. <laughs> Beautiful. Love her. Beautiful. Just stunning. She's she's described as brown. <laughs> three, <laughs> 30 feet long with three humps on her back and a snake-like head. She's what? beauty and she's great. She's, great. she's brown. She's with a snake face. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I know. Morag. I love it's, Morag. Well, she might be dead. It's possible that she was shot to death in 1969 by two fishermen who claimed to have been attacked by her in their boat. Mm, the true monsters of the loch. I know. Yeah. Men of the 60s. Gun control. <laughs> <laughs> loch Morar is the 17th deepest lake in the world. So this lake is... It's uh, at its deepest part. It's a little over a thousand feet deep. Damn! So her bones are down there. They're yeah, down we there. We need to excavate. I know. There, she's Dig in there somewhere. Up. Dig her up. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to what Amanda was saying. Scottish whiskey is spelled without the e. Mm-hmm. So Scottish whiskey is the same thing as Scotch, and whiskey making dates back to at least fourteen ninety five. When it was called Aqua Vita, water Ushka of life. Bea. What? That's that's Scottish Gaelic for whiskey or water of life. Ushka is water and Bea is life. Okay. Ushka Bea. It's all coming back. Wow. There we go. There we go. You are fluent. Fluent. All right, Amanda, this is your moment. The official animal of Scotland is the unicorn. Yes! <laughs> oh, that is good. Yeah. That is real good. There's a photo on the drive of a unicorn in case you need a reference. Oh, and look at that bony lass. <laughs> She's bony. <laughs> Scotland has approximately 790 islands, 660 of which are uninhabited. I thought you were going to say 790 unicorns, and I was like, mm-hmm. just Prop could be. 
It's a crazy place. Yeah, 660 of these islands are uninhabited by anyone other than unicorns. Oh, Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Edinburgh was the first city in the world to have its own fire brigade. Oh. Mm-hmm. There are over 600 square miles of freshwater lakes in Scotland, but like big deal, Minnesota has about 4,600. Yeah, suck it, Scotland. <laughs> Minnesota's basically the size of Scotland. We had more glacial activity than you, Scotland. Yes, Scotland. So well. take your unicorn horn and shove it. I don't think we have many lakes that are over a thousand feet deep, though. So, so we're not talking about depth. Yeah, we're talking about quantity, <laughs> not quality. Girth, not depth. Girth. <laughs> there are no nerve endings after a certain point, anyway. Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> Jesus. It just oh starts to get uncomfortable. If I'm being totally honest, <laughs> there is such a thing as too big, too yeah. deep of a glacier. Okay. I don't like cervical play. No. <laughs> I don't enjoy bottoming out. Yeah. In case I wasn't Leave my cervical plug alone. (laughs) My membrane. You're going to stimulate me into having my period. (laughs) You're giving me cramps. Cramps. (laughs) Sketch. I'm so sorry, listeners. I'm not. Oh, my God. I've never been sorry in my life. <laughs> Shame is not an emotion that I have. It does not, not compute. In the game. No, no shame in this game. My brain isn't capable of shame. <laughs> You've got enough going on. That's shame is on the back burner. Sociopathy. Yeah, and I am thriving. <laughs> Talk space. Okay. So, Tartan, you might be familiar. People call it plaid, and it's not. It's tartan. Tartar? Hardly nor. First mentioned in 1538, What which tartan you wore showed people what clan you were from. Mm-hmm. Each clan has a dedicated tartan. It's seen as an icon of Scotland and is used by various countries today. And in fact, Japan is the world's biggest importer of tartan. Amazing. Cool. Hello Kitty has her own tartan. I yes. love it. <laughs> I, I have it heard like. that the tartan stuff, like, yes, like, that's true. But a lot of the tartan stuff took off in the Victorian period when they were, like, being nostalgic about history. Mm. And so mm. then it, like, extra took off. And so a lot of, like, families and smaller clans that historically never actually had a tartan mm. were, like, well, shit, we got to get our own tartan. Yep. You know? I can see that. Well, when I was in Brigadoon, our family was in blue. <laughs> okay. Blue. 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 I put Hello so. Kitty's tartan on the drive. Look. Scotland has the highest proportion of redheads. Oh. Which isn't surprising. And They're Scots- endangered. Yeah. And Scots also are more likely to have blue eyes than the rest of Europe. The southeast of Scotland has the highest proportion of blue-eyed residents in the world at 57%. Well, look at us go. Well, blue-eyed babies. Oh, little babies. The raincoat was invented in Scotland by a man named Charles McIntosh, who was born in Glasgow. That's why in the UK they call it a Mac. Yep. Put on Return of the Mac. Oh, so good. They call raincoats Macs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Macintoshes. Didn't know. 
Okay, Amanda, you'll like this fact too. Oh, this is another word I don't know how to pronounce. The Makalur Beach Hedge, which is four miles south of Blairgory, is the longest hedge in Britain and the highest of its kind in the world. For some cool. reason, that feels like the most British fact of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the photo. Largest hedge. Whoa. Look at the- Oh, my God. That's a forest. <laughs> That's a hedge. That's, That's a hedge. That is That's a, a hedge? hedge? That's the world's biggest hedge. Don't get a hedge of yourself. <laughs> wow. It's recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest hedge in the world. Lock. Great privacy. It was planted yeah. in 1745 and is one third of a mile long and a hundred feet high. Jesus. If only the uh, farmer who built the poop wall in one of my gag episodes <laughs> yeah. had this. Yeah. That techno the hedge technology. Mm-hmm. Well, it obviously wasn't always this tall. It's thought that the men who planted it were called in were called to fight in the uh, Jacobite Rebellion. Jacobite? Jacobite. Jacobite. I don't know. It's been a while since European history. Um, And none of them returned alive. So in tribute, the trees were allowed to grow and the hedge acts as a living landmark to them. The hedge is cut and remeasured every 10 years, a complex operation that takes four men approximately six weeks to complete. Wow. Wow. Quite a jab. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, Edinburgh Castle sits on a volcanic plug. Speaking of you <laughs> Speaking of plugs. plugs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're getting into all the plugs. All the volcanic plugs, honestly. <laughs> oh, my God, this is so weird. The shortest commercial flight in the world is from Westray to Papa Westray in Orkney, and it's a po- approximately 1.5 miles long and takes 47 seconds. Why oh do they God. even bother? <laughs> well, maybe because like they're the islands. S- the sea oh. is too rough sometimes. I don't know. Okay. The or- Orkney Full area puddle is, jumper. I- is islands, I think. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. 47 that seconds. Sense. That's oh nuts. God, I know. Imagine the fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's odd. Mm-hmm. The longest echo inside a man-made structure was recorded in Ick. Inchendown Tunnels, which is a World War II fuel storage facility near Invergordon in Rossshire. <laughs> I like how Lucy wow. approaches. <laughs> the apprehensive. I don't think I'm doing this in- right. Invergordon. Every syllable seems in- to sneak up on me. <laughs> it's like not Ross- what you expect. Sure. In Wurgordon. In Rossshire. <laughs> so they fired a gun down into these tunnels and recorded a 112 second echo. Weird. I know. It's really eerie. Okay. My last fact and the thing that makes me most want to go to Scotland. The small town of Bonnie Bridge has more than 300 sightings of unidentified flying objects reported every year. Wow. Cool. Making it the UFO sightings capital of the world. Weird. Whoa. Yeah. I have to go. I gotta go. I gotta, gotta go. go. Just trying to get back to Scarabray. I gotta go for the Bray, for the UFOs, and the Haggis, because apparently it's not that bad. Mm. I would totally try Haggis. Mm. It's spiced. Mm. Just a mm-hmm. mashed it's up a brat, brat. Gal. Yeah, it's yeah. Just a brat. I guess it's similar to a brat. 
I love a good sausage. I'm not over this hedge myself. <laughs> right. You're not. It's too tall for you to get over it. As, as we <laughs> contemplate the hedge. Uh, as we wrap our minds around the hedge. <laughs> let's, uh, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. You guys, Nova Scotia. <laughs> you know, I'm a maximalist. I am never content with enough. Okay? Why settle for enough when you can have more? And Best Fiends always satisfies your need for more. There are always more puzzles. There's always more fun. There's always more me time. It is absolutely the best. You know that I love Best Fiends more than anything. I'm on level 2,632, I think. And I have never tired of this game because they do all these amazing seasonal challenges. They put in little mini games. It is so much fun. I love it. And once you download Best Fiends, you can play it anywhere, even without an internet connection, which is great because sometimes we get stuck without Wi-Fi. We're all traveling again, being on the plane. It is the absolute best game to play on a plane. Though I do like being connected to the internet because I'll also like log in with my Facebook and then I can see what friends of mine are playing Best Fiends and then how quickly I am passing them in Best Fiends. It's super fun. And throughout the game, you collect tons of fiends that get powered up as you play more levels. So every win brings new challenges, thousands of puzzles to play, and new in-game events are added all the time. They are so fun. Like I said, they have all these fun seasonal ones that you can do. It's the best. So with thousands of levels, there's always more to play. Go ahead. Let enough is never enough be your mantra. Download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. Plus, earn even more with $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's Fiends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, so whether you're super booked this summer because you've filled up every day with all of your summer plans, or you're more like a plans, what plans? I'm not, I'm not leaving the house person over the summer. You just, you're going to have to like tell people either way. Try to catch me again in the fall. I'm busy. I've got pool days. I've got pride parades. I've got bachelor and bachelorette parties. I've got beach vacations. I've got it all waiting for me. And it's a lot. But thankfully, MeUndies wants to help make this summer the most comfortable one that you will never forget. Because when you're living your best life, the last thing you want to do is worry about butt sweat. Okay? Butt sweat can be a thing of the past with MeUndies. I have officially, okay, well, not burned all of my previous underwear, but like, discarded it. I accidentally put on some underwear the other day that was not me undies. And the second it touched my butt, I was like, these are not my, this is not my underwear. How did these stay? How are these still in here? I had to get rid of them. And when you're comfy and you're feeling good, you're more present to enjoy all of your summer plans or your zero plan summer. Both sound amazing. It's like science or something. So MeUndies has the lightest and most breathable fabrics to keep you cool and comfortable wherever you go. From undies, bralettes, and socks to loungewear, they have swimwear. Like, if you can imagine how incredible the swimwear must be if the underwear is this good, you can find something for all of your plans. MeUndies also releases new prints all the time, like their limited edition Pride Collection. You can match with your partner, your friends. You can even match with your dog. Find your ultimate summer comfort in sizes extra small to 4XL, and MeUndies has a great offer for our listeners. So for any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off. 
For a limited time, if you sign up for their free to join MeUndies membership, you get 25% off your first membership item. So we're giving you all kinds of exciting little deals right now. So to get 15% off your first order and 25% off your first membership item and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash gals. That's MeUndies.com slash gals and treat you but. So this is a sad case. Oh, I'm sure. So let's do it. Really? Wow. Way to get something new on the books. (laughs) (laughs) Shaking it up. Really shaking it up. It is a very famous case in Scotland that I had never heard of as an American. So Mine's also famous that I hadn't heard of. Oh, my God. Okay, so Arlene Fraser was a 33-year-old mother of two who vanished from her home in Elgin, Scotland on the morning of April 28th, 1998. And normally I only do geography for England, Mm. But this case is sad, and I had to lighten it somehow. (laughs) I had to do something. (laughs) And also, there are some amazing place names near Elgin, so what the hell. Okay. So, I don't know if it's Elgin or Elgin. I'm going to go with Gin. Elgin is situated north of Fogwatt. Yes. And Maggie Maggie Knockator. Okay. She's no gator. Maggie Knockator. Uh, Maggie Nakatar. Don't knock at her till you try her. <laughs> <laughs> it is due south of Lossy Mouth. Oh. <laughs> Southeast of Cummings Town and Doofus. Oh, yes. Doofus. And northwest of Fockaber's Dipple <laughs> and Ordle Quish. Dimple? Dipple. Ordle Quish? These are Ordle Harry Potter names. Quish. This makes no sense. Yeah, did you catch the Ordle Quish? Sorry, today's Ordle Quish was really hard. I yeah, I haven't done do today's it. Ordle. I haven't done today's Ordle Quish either. Actually, I haven't either. I was just making a joke. Oh, well, we all forgot let's to take do a it. Big, let's take a quick break to do the Ordle Quish. <laughs> okay, back to Arlene. So she was last seen. As she waved goodbye to her two children, son Jamie and daughter Natalie, from the doorway as they left the house for school and was reported missing after a friend arrived at her home for a planned lunch date around noon that day and the friend found the house empty. Hate that. That's like one of my biggest fears. I don't want to discover. Oh, well, you the don't house have to empty. search the house. It just freaks me out. I don't, I just want to go to lunch and not have to worry that you've disappeared. That's so much to ask. If I showed up at one of your houses to find it empty, I would, I would search it. I'd want to discover you. Of Well, I don't think the friend got in the house. Maybe she did. Maybe they didn't lock the doors. It's rural Scotland in 1998. So maybe she did go inside. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But it was suspicious that they had this lunch date and Arlene didn't contact her and wasn't there. So friend reports her missing. There's a massive police investigation that takes place following her disappearance. But this turns up no witnesses. Nobody had seen anything at all suspicious that morning. 
She like waved to her kids as they went to school. And then by noon, she was gone. Mm. So neighbors quickly organized search parties and plastered posters around Elgin. But all of this was to no avail. Police did have one potential suspect, though. And can you guess who that might be? The husband. The husband. The husband. They did it. Nat mm-hmm. Fraser. Mm-hmm. King Cole. So Nat was extremely involved in the organization of these search parties and, like, efforts to bring awareness to her disappearance. Classic. but Classic, exactly. But also... At the time that all this was going on, Amanda just did the ordal quish as I'm talking. <laughs> as I am t- telling her this case, and she She's is pretty good. working on the clock, yeah, she uh-huh, did the ordal yeah. quish. Listen, I can't pay attention without doing something else. Oh my God. No, I'm okay. playing Best Fiends. I'm oh, listening. Okay. Yeah. So he's involved in these search parties and all this shit, but what people many people didn't know initially was that at the time that he's doing this, he was actually out on bail Mm. for attempted murder. Oh, good. After his brutal attempt to strangle Arlene to death in a prior incident. Okay, so he'd already tried to kill his wife at least once. And Mm -hmm. nobody, nobody fucking pieced this together? Well, that wasn't like very public knowledge in Elgin. Obviously, the police knew. But they can't, he's out on bail and they can't prevent him from taking part in the search parties. And like a lot of the neighbors and friends and stuff didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so they think he's the grieving husband. Right. Helping. Ugh, I hate him. fucked up. So Nat Fraser came so close to succeeding in this first murder attempt that as the police department would later reveal, Arlene was the only like live victim they had ever sent to a forensic pathologist for examination after the attack. Okay, wait. So when he tried to kill her the first time? Yeah, it wasn't just like take pictures of her bruises, you know, like she survived. And it wasn't just like the standard, you know, take photos of her for evidence. They were like, this is so violent. We need further well, it was so she was so close to death from the strangulation oh. that they sent her to a forensic pathologist who could like really examine in depth like how close she came Whoa. to Ugh. dying that's because so it was oh, that's so like scary. examining a corpse that had been strangled. Oh no. my god. Oh no. Mm-mm. No. Yuck. Uh, so I'm in a dark, dark place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that attack occurred in March of 1998. And immediately after Arlene was released from the hospital, she initiated divorce proceedings against Nat. And he was out on bail, but not living in the home with her Mm -hmm. at the time of her disappearance. So that is also why he wasn't the one to report her missing. It was the friend. Sure. He also stood to lose as much as 250,000 pounds in a potential divorce settlement, as well as custody of the couple's two children, because, like, he tried to fucking murder her. There's your motive. And so if she divorces him, he's not going to get much. Yep. And won't see his kids again, potentially. Yeah. 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 That's, that's That's a pretty compelling motive. 
But despite having a clear motive to murder his wife, as well as having very recently already fucking attempted to do so, Fraser was, upon being questioned by the police, dismissed as a suspect. What? Oh, good. In good. her disappearance because they found his alibi convincing. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he worked as a fruit and veg salesman. Mm. A greengrocer. Yeah. And he had been out completing his regular route that morning alongside a coworker. So, like, he did have an alibi, but that doesn't mean that he's not involved. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. So, although initially treated as a missing persons case, once months had gone by with, like, no trace of Arlene, the police began speaking of the case in different terms. Mm-hmm. So They're this, presuming her to be dead now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I... Th- there's absolutely no physical evidence. Like, there's no blood. There's no, you know, you, I think in the U.S., in order to presume someone dead, like, more time has to go by or there has to be, like, evidence Compelling of evidence. significant blood loss or something. Yeah. I think it's, like, 10 years without finding them. Right. Or, yeah. In this case, it, I guess it must be different there, I think, because he had tried to murder her previously they were able to kind of jump to that conclusion sooner. I also don't know what the situation is, obviously, in Scotland, but like in the U.S., say, God forbid, a child or a family member goes missing, I think you can petition to have them declared legally dead. After like seven years, I think. I think it's even earlier than that, and that it's like automated. Okay. I thought it was 10. At at like seven to 10 years. I can look this up, but I think you can petition for it. Mm-hmm. It's probably more like five years. It's like a significant amount of time. Right. Well, this was just a few months, but I think they, I think it was the right conclusion. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, we've seen entire cases hinge on circumstantial evidence. Assuming we're giving police the benefit of the doubt or assuming that they are diligently working on this case, they may have had reason to believe beyond just our own speculation that she was dead. Well, we're going to get to a few more sketchy things. Okay. So the senior detective in the case, Detective Chief Inspector Peter Simpson, stated in an interview that, quote, the only conclusion that's still left open to us, which I firmly believe has happened, is that something criminal has taken place here and that Arlene has been the victim of a crime. I am of the opinion that she's dead. There's no indication that she's living somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So like she didn't, pack a bag she didn't take yeah. her shit with her and she when when did this take kids. place what when what time Ni- like 1998 okay so there there would be credit cards that would have ways to find her she'd have using, a passport she'd have a driver's yeah, license bank account information yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense okay and there's just nothing probably mm-hmm. no cell phone but you know there's just there were other ways to track at that time right so the investigation would become the largest and most comprehensive presumption of death investigation ever carried out by Scottish police. Wow. However, the shift from speaking about Marlene from like missing to presumed dead, Mm -hmm. most people agreed with it, except for. I wonder. One very vocal critic, Mm -hmm. her husband, Nat Fraser, Mm -hmm. who insisted from the beginning that she had left of her own accord. Even though, yeah. how okay. could he possibly know that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's just making himself way more sus. He yeah. just can't help himself. No. 
And he tried to back up this story with evidence that Arlene's friends and family found extremely dubious. So, for example, soon after she disappeared, a hypodermic syringe was found underneath their bed. Mm -hmm. And Nat explained it to loved ones that, like, Arlene was struggling with drug use. (laughs) Okay, bitch, no. (laughs) And everybody was like, Uh, no, she's not. (laughs) Like, (laughs) You're an idiot. (laughs) There's been absolutely no history of that or sign of that. No. Mm -hmm. Fuck off. Yeah. It's just so stupid. Mm -hmm. He also claimed that Arlene had been having affairs with other men, something that everybody also didn't believe. And according to one source, quote, all part of his strategy to create this illusion she'd gone missing was that she had this dark side. Mm. But her family never bought into that. She was fundamentally a good mother from the get-go, and they knew that. And she has a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. Yeah. Which, like, people with kids can struggle with substance use disorder and all kinds of stuff. But she if did. there's no history, then, yeah, you can't just out of nowhere say, oh, JK, she does heroin. Yeah, I like, found um, one needle. Yeah, that's not the same <laughs> as finding, like, pot wrapped up in somebody's sock. It's like, <laughs> this is a little much. Yeah. In fact, despite Nat's airtight alibi, police had also been growing more and more suspicious of him due to his other behavior throughout the investigation. So one of the first incidents that raised suspicions had to do with Arlene's wedding rings. Uh-oh. Her family had found them hanging on a peg above the bathroom sink nine days after Arlene disappeared. But police had photographed and videoed the house in the days after the disappearance. Oh, no rings. And the, and the rings had not been there before then. Yup. He had them. He pocketed those fuckers. So they suspected Nat of placing them back in the house to make it look like Arlene had taken them off before, like, fleeing the marriage and abandoning her kids. Yup. But also, if you're going to do that, you'd pawn them. Yeah. He's not Hello. smart. He is not smart. Pay that fucking train fare to get out of Dad's. Right? I wouldn't leave him. I wouldn't let him beg money from him. Fuck no. This is also really fucking creepy. Arlene's father would also inform investigators that soon after his daughter's disappearance, Nat ominously told him that, quote, the Bairns will soon forget their mother. Oh, my God. Meaning like the children, the Bairns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bairnstein Bairns. The Bairnstein Bairns. Oh, no. Oh, that's so fucking sad. Mm-hmm. And like, no, they won't. They're yeah, 10 are you and fucking five? kidding me? Oh, yeah. 10? No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely what not. They won't forget their fucking mother. Mm-hmm. He's trying to justify what he did to himself. Yeah. He's a psycho. Police also became suspicious of Nat's habit of showing up at the police station every few days displaying what they came to believe was faux concern or at least a level of concern that didn't make sense for a man who claimed to also be convinced that his wife left of her own free will. Mm-hmm. So it's like, which is it? Are you yeah. sure that she left and is still alive and is fine? Or... Are you so worried that you have to show up seeing if there's any new info every Mm -hmm. three days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wants to know what they know. Yeah, of Mm -hmm. course. He wants to stay close. Mm -hmm. Classic. He thinks he's outsmarting them, and he's really fucking not, Mm -hmm. I assume. Mm -hmm. But with Nat's alibi and no concrete evidence against him, basically no physical evidence at all, 
Mm-hmm. They believe that they may never be able to prove that he was involved in her disappearance. No. Is he still free? We will get to it. Oh, my oh. God. He's right behind you. He's oh there. My, don't fucking do he that. He now lives in Minneapolis. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I can't. So the big breakthrough in the case actually came from looking into one of Nat Fraser's close buddies. Mm-hmm. Police discovered that shortly before Arlene's disappearance, his friend Hector Dick. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Rodney Lynn. <laughs> oh, my God. Hector Dick had purchased a secondhand Ford Fiesta in what seemed to be strange circumstances. So, like, mm. Hector had his own car. He had no need for this shitty secondhand Ford Fiesta that I'm assuming he bought in cash. hmm And the mechanic who sold Dick the car mm-hmm. told police that he'd been paid an extra 50 pound in exchange for, quote, remaining quiet about the sale, which, like, obviously he later did not honor. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, so God. cops, get a load of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, what? <laughs> I already have the 50 pounds, and you just if made you... this seem really sketchy, so I'm going <laughs> to remember it. <laughs> if you slip me money and thank me for, like, my discretion, <laughs> oh. I am going Woo! to tell people so fast. So fast. That I'm going no straight to ever... Twitter. Oh, yeah, I'm good. Everyone's gonna know. You everyone's just made it know. juicier. Yep. yep. My ADHD ass would have forgotten this ever happened, mm-hmm. except for now you have pinned it in my brain right. forever. You've made it a mm-hmm. core memory. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> Next time I pay you guys back for something in cash, so I'm gonna just be like, I appreciate you your, for your discretion for staying quiet. <laughs> <laughs> for keeping your trap shut. Oh <laughs> you sent me Venmo's and it's always for that. For keeping Ven- your trap shut. That's my new shut. Venmo memo. <laughs> for oh your discretion. <laughs> Don't do it. I'm gonna do it. Don't do it. So Hector Dick claimed <laughs> that he had I know. Claimed that he'd been asked by Nat to find a new car for Arlene to drive. Oh, sure. After the family's previous car had been found torched outside of their home a few <laughs> weeks before. The, the fuck? Circum- the circumstances surrounding which are unclear, but draw your own conclusions. Yeah, he He's did He's a it. fucking lunatic, abusive bastard, and he lit her car on fire to scare her. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. Yeah. Like right around the time that he tried to strangle her to death. He lit oh her car on fire. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And also, uh. she's divorcing you, so why would you be buying her a new car? But right. why can't you buy it? You have to have your friend buy it, mm-hmm. and you have to have him buy it in cash and ask mm-hmm. for discretion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all mm-hmm. tracks. Yeah. Yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. However, police were unable to trace what happened to the Ford Fiesta, leading them to believe that it had been used in Arlene's disappearance. Mm. The theory became that even if Nat Fraser had, in fact, been at work that day, he must have had an accomplice or accomplices and was involved. Mm -hmm. Finally, in April of 2002, so four years later, after her disappearance, Nat Fraser was charged with her murder along with his friend Hector Dick... And a third man named Glenn Lucas. In this interim four years, 
Nat had served 18 months in jail for the first murder attempt. Okay. Which Only had some 18 months. Somehow it had been reduced to an assault charge, and probably that's because he was able to plead a little bit, and Arlene was dead right. and couldn't speak for herself. Right. Oh my right. God. Who the that fuck so didn't piece up. all of this shit together? They, they it just it it was it was technically circumstantial. Right. Oh Without the actual like hard evidence, there's so little I know, but that is so it's really fucking frustrating. frustrating. Yeah. And the it's fact horrible. that she disappeared from her house and like he had been living there up until like that month. Yeah, he obviously, could clean shit up. Yeah, his yeah. DNA could be everywhere and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they couldn't find the car where her, you know, body was probably placed in. And mm-hmm. they couldn't find her body. Ugh, or a murder it's weapon. So sad. It's so if there sad. even was one, if it wasn't just his hands. Right. Ugh. Gross. So, however, when the murder case for the this dis- presumed murder came to trial, the prosecution announced that they would not be proceeding with charges against Hector Dick or Glenn Lucas. Dick instead would be appearing as a witness for the prosecution. Ooh, okay. Oh, he now, dick flipped. Yeah, he dick fucking flipped. Sang like a canary. Dick flipped. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so Nat Fraser would now face a charge of murder, quote, with others unknown. So Dick flipped, but in a way that he like didn't <laughs> confess right. to actually being part of killing her. Mm-hmm. And so then they were like, okay, Nat Fraser must have had a different accomplice, but we won't name them because we mm-hmm. all fucking know who it was. But well, we need this info. Mm-hmm. Right. So after a delay in the trial to give Fraser's defense team an opportunity to interview Dick Flip and also Lucas, <laughs> the proceedings resumed and Hector Dick took the stand. He admitted to burning and crushing the Ford Fiesta out of fear that it might link him to Arlene's disappearance. Mm-hmm. But he, like, didn't say that he had put her body in it or right. it had ever been used to transport her. I just fucked with the car. I just bought the car secretly, gave it to him, and then later destroyed it, it. For funsies. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> he also stated that nat fraser told him he'd made arrangements for arlene to be killed and had disposed of her body by grinding it up and burying it conveniently not referencing the car oh god hector dick denied having any involvement in arlene's disappearance or murder beyond purchasing and and destroying the car Mm -hmm. in January of 2003, Nat Fraser was found guilty of murdering his wife, Arlene. Thank God, but it took fucking long enough. Well, it took five years and we're very far from done. Oh, Oh, great. The judge in the case described him as evil before sentencing him to life in prison with a recommended minimum time served of 25 years. Mm -hmm. His defense team immediately announced their intention to appeal. Mm-hmm. They filed their appeal in December of 2003, which centered around claims that Hector Dick and several police officers had lied on the stand and that relevant evidence had been withheld from the defense. Sorry, I'm like breathless. Fucking being pregnant <laughs> is hard, y'all. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in 2006, Nat Fraser was released from prison. No. Pending the outcome of his appeal. That makes no sense. If you what? are locked up for a violent crime... 
I guess that's how it works over there. It's you not how it works here. File an appeal and then be released. Go home and wait. And have a little vacay from the clink. What on earth? I don't get it. I don't get that part. But after a long and drawn out legal process, his case ultimately went all the way to the Scottish Supreme Court, which ruled in 2011. No. That, quote, the Supreme Court unanimously allows the appeal. It remits the case to a differently constituted appeal court to consider whether to grant authority for a new prosecution. And then so I'm pretty sure he was out from 2006 to 2011 while they were trying to see if he could get the appeal. Oh, my God. Did he kill anyone else? No. Not that we know of. That you know of. So fresh proceedings were brought against Fraser for Arlene's murder, and he went back on trial in 2012. Again, he was found guilty, and this time he was sentenced to a minimum of 17 years in prison. During the sentencing, the judge told Fraser, quote, the evidence indicated that at some point you arranged for someone to kill your wife, Arlene, and dispose of her body. Thus, you instigated in cold blood the premeditated murder of your wife and mother of your children, then aged 10 and 5 years. Fucking bingo. The murder and disposal of the body must have been carried out with ruthless efficiency, for there is not a trace of Arlene Fraser from that day to this, and her bereft family continue to live with no satisfactory knowledge of what happened to her remains. Ugh. And like Hector Dick has told the press... You know, I I hope Nat finally tells the police where he put her body and all this stuff. I feel like Hector Dick got Knows. off way too uh, yeah. fucking easy. Yeah. He helped. He yeah. absolutely fucking helped. I think helped. he fucking knows where her body is. He might have fucking done it for his mm-hmm. friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so his friend could have kept his alibi. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe he really didn't. He didn't do it, but he planned for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he paid for it, but he didn't actually carry it out. So Fraser is still serving his sentence today, and Arlene's body has never been found. Ugh. Her family, namely her mother Isabel and her sister, have spoken publicly in support of legislation that would not allow someone convicted of murder to be paroled if they will not reveal the location of the victim's body. Mm. Which I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Although it might be tough if... You're like, well, I dumped her in the ocean. Right. There could be definitely be reasonable barriers to keeping that information from being known. Or like proven, like they could say right. it. And then mm-hmm. if you still can't find the remains. Right. Or somebody what, what happens still could have been wrongfully accused of murder. So right. They don't know where then the they can is. never be paroled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's tricky. However, as of 2013, Arlene and Nat's daughter, Natalie Fraser, who again was five years old at the time of her mother's disappearance, staunchly believes that her father had nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. and places 100% of the blame on Hector Dick. I don't blame her. Whatever you got to do to fucking survive and just, it would be so hard to accept that your father had done that. I'm not saying that she's right. I'm saying that, like, the trauma of that, I understand why right. she's clinging to this. Yeah, right. I do too. And I think her brother also is clinging to that idea. And I also think that I couldn't confirm this. I just saw articles saying that she, the, that Nat Fraser's, so their dad's sister, their aunt, mm-hmm. was the one who petitioned the court to be allowed to, like, raise the kids. Mm. 
So I don't know if that was granted and if they were raised by their father's sister. But if so, then they're going to be fed. Mm -hmm. More favorable, potentially. Right. Reflections on the brother, on their dad. Right. I mean, I know my dad's a serial killer. and (laughs) And it doesn't change your opinion of him. No, I love him. And then the other <laughs> implicated the dad, <laughs> the other implicated accomplice that well, we just don't know that much about, Glenn Lucas has since died, and there just is not that much information about him. Mm-hmm. Wow! So that is the case. Creepy, and Dang. I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. It's really sad. Oh God! Fuck well, that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy, and and fuck Hector Dick. Fuck Hector Dick, right in the dick. Well, if they and did I, dispose of her the way that he claims, like grinding her up. Yeah, there'd be no sign of her anywhere. Oh, God, it's so fucked up. Yeah. Ugh. Well, great. Should we take a quick break? Okay, so a recent rabbit hole that I've been going down is the plastics rabbit hole. Thinking about all the places where we use plastic. Where, you know, we're consuming it, where we're wearing it, you know? And if it's not like piling up in a landfill, it's incinerated and driving greenhouse gases and like microplastics that end up in oceans and drinking water and food. It's just, it's, it's absolutely wild. So you might be more careful about using plastic in everyday life, but it's easy to overlook the plastic from synthetic materials in our closets. This is like something I did not think about. It's all the microplastics and the plastic used in our clothing. And Everlane has made it 90% of the way to having no new plastics in their entire apparel, footwear, and packaging supply chain, which is incredible. So to combat the last 10% that currently does not have quality alternatives, they have created the Next Collective, a fellowship program to boost innovation for ending new plastics in the fashion industry. Everlane is incredible. I have a lot of pieces from them. I have some really lovely, comfortable jeans, beautiful sweaters, one of my favorite crop top sweatshirts is from Everlane. I wear it all the time. And it's all so soft and so sustainable. So 100% of their shipping packaging is made from either 100% recycled plastic or FSC certified paper. 97% of apparel materials containing polyester and nylon are made from certified recycled fibers. And more than 1 million pounds of nylon and 9 million plastic bottles have been recycled. So you can do good while you're also wearing these high quality, absolutely timeless classic pieces for anyone's wardrobe. So let's talk about this fellowship program. This is a program that brings diverse perspectives together to clean up the fashion industry. Fast fashion and wastefulness in the fashion industry is a big problem. This year, they gave $100,000 in grants to entrepreneurs working to reduce new plastics, and applicants were considered based on long-term potential, community impact, collaboration, and each fellow kept ownership of all of their ideas and received $20,000 to advance their projects. This is amazing. I love how they are tapping into community resources, tapping into people who are already out there doing this work, and then providing opportunities to expand this work. It's incredible. So be a part of a movement for more sustainable clothing. Go to everlane.com forward slash gals and sign up for 10% off your first order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to everlane.com slash gals and sign up and treat your wardrobe. So one of my actual waking nightmares is bra shopping. It is awful. I 
hate it. It is so frustrating. I don't like the lighting in dressing rooms. I don't like how it seems like they crank the heat up so that when you're trying to get in and out of a bra to try it on, you're like weirdly sweaty all of a sudden. I don't know if that's just me. I don't know. But the nice thing about Third Love is that it really took all of that struggle out of finding the right bra for me. And I am especially in love with Third Love's 24-7 classic t-shirt bra that delivers on style and comfort. This is why it's their number one bra. Millions of people with boobs agree this bra makes the boobs happy. It seriously is so comfortable. I've talked about this before that I have like fallen asleep in this bra. Not like nap on the couch, fallen asleep, like gotten in bed, done my nighttime routine and forgot I was wearing it, fell asleep in this bra. It's absolutely amazing. The online shopping experience is so, so, so easy. And the fitting room quiz will take all of the guesswork out of like what bra you need. It's amazing. So when I took the fitting room quiz, they helped me actually discover that I have not been a C cup for a really long time. They they treat it like a personal shopper. Like this fitting room quiz is even better than a personal shopper. It focuses on size. It focuses on breast shape, current fit issues. I was always having like over the top spillage because I wasn't in the right cup size. And I didn't have the right band size. It, it also like accommodates your style to find bras that are perfect for you. And for me, that was the 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. It forms to your body and makes your boobs look their best. The straps won't slip and there is no pinching or digging. I know you know those feelings if you have boobs. It is the worst. And if you don't love your fit, you can get returns and exchanges free for 60 days. And you're gonna love your fit. But just as a backup, you know, boobs can be finicky. And Third Love's team of expert fit stylists is available to answer all of your questions. So if you're not quite sure, you can just get some guidance on which bra is going to be best for you. So feeling is believing. Give yourself the 24-7 comfort and support that you deserve. Upgrade your bra today and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash gals. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash gals and treat your boobs. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. It is the easiest thing in the world. You know that I was not a vitamin aficionado. That is all Kenyon's lane. I was like looking for the gummies that I thought would taste the best and had like the most letters combined because I wanted to take like one thing. So I was like, okay, this is fun. A through A through D vitamins. Great. I'll just grab this. Is, is it strawberry? Great. I didn't know what I was doing. So you take a short in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, your health goals, and then you get a personalized recommendation, which helps eliminate the confusion and overwhelm around finding a routine that works. It is so, so, so easy because Care Of provides personalized guidance. They provide quality products and tools to help you not only build healthy habits, but also measure your progress so you can feel confident that your routine is actually doing something. I love the little personalized daily packs. They come with little affirmations on them. I just keep them in my bathroom so that when I go to brush my teeth in the morning to get the day started, I can just grab a little glass of water. I see my vitamin packs. I can't forget them. They're right there in front of my face. I also love the powders that they offer from Care Of. I have a matcha collagen powder that I put, uh, I like make a matcha green tea latte with almond milk a lot of the time in the morning. And it is absolutely 
my favorite thing. These are like some of my favorite products ever. And like I said, I didn't know anything about vitamins. Care-of made it so easy and accessible. It's amazing. And each shipment comes with a customized booklet showing you exactly what's in your individual daily packs and why it was recommended specifically for you and your health goals. So you can go from what I used to be a total vitamin newbie to what I am now, thanks to Care-of, a total vitamin expert. So for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50. That's G-A-L-S-5-0. One more time for 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your wellness. Are you ready for my case? Yes. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So you've probably all heard of this guy. I definitely hadn't because- Mel Gibson. Well, Yes. Once again, I am the most out of touch true crime podcaster ever. And if like it isn't about the Green River Killer or JonBenet Ramsey, I don't know it. (laughs) So there you go. But today I am talking about Scottish serial killer Peter Manuel. I don't know this person. At least I don't know. Okay, good. Good, good. So he's actually Scottish American. His parents were Scottish, but he was born in New York in March of 1927, where he lived with his family until 1932, when they decided to return to Scotland after, like, one of the earlier epic Wall Street crashes that made it even harder for them to survive in the U.S. So he had a bit of a rough childhood, though, from what I could see, his family seemed, like, normal and pretty well-adjusted, but he was bullied pretty mercilessly as a child, Mm. which, again, not correlation, not causation. Yeah. And as a young teen, he started getting into trouble with, like, petty theft, breaking into houses, like, some of the more angsty kid shit. But this escalated when he was 15, and he started committing violent sexual crimes. Okay, there we go. The best kind. I feel like the Mm break-ins. Like... They're a gateway drug. Violations. You get addicted to that. Yeah, you take... You take items. Mm -hmm. It's very personal. It's very intimate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's really, really high risk. I mean, like, we did a lot of stupid teen shit and maybe trespassing, but not We didn't break into anyone's houses. No. The worst thing we ever did was, like, cut through people's yards. Mm -hmm. Oh, I broke into Diana's house one time. That's different. And I wrote red rum on her mirror and um, nail polish. I feel like it doesn't count when it's someone you are, like, in relationship with. Yeah, it's your friend and you leave them a note. Yeah, you're sneaking in to leave them a note. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She because did that you to know, my house, too. Yeah. She wrote red rum and lipstick on my closet door. That yeah, was because revenge because she thought you had done it when actually it was me. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> I got also, in big trouble for that. My mom was like, what is it? I have to repaint. Ma. I was like, and also I your no window is like was like never locked. Like we yeah. could always get into your room. Yeah. Anyway, first, Peter broke into a house and attacked the female occupant. <gasps> oh, God. <laughs> who was asleep in bed and beat her over the head with a hammer. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. He was 15. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he Fortunate. is a full-on... Psychopath. Yeah. And sociopath. Um, Fortunately, she survived, but he was not immediately identified as her attacker. I mean, she was sleeping. Jesus. So that left... Like, she couldn't identify who did this, so that left him free to carry out a string of sexual attacks over the next year, for which he was caught and convicted, serving nine years in the local Peterhead prison. Hmm. 
Following his release, he was sentenced to one year in prison for breaking into a house. Like, right after he was released, he broke into a house. Mm-hmm. And then he got another eight years for a rape he had committed while on bail from the charge for breaking into that house. So just oh totally compulsive. He cannot yep. help it. Yep. Yep. So he claimed that police had framed him and that Detective William Muncie, Muncie, Indiana, mm-hmm. who had been handling his cases for years, was simply out to get him. Uh-huh. Which, like, may very well have been true, but, like, you're a serial rapist. He's out so to get off. me. He catches me every time I <laughs> yeah. break in and rape someone. And rape someone. Wow. He is I'm just so- on my case. God, get off my nuts. Get off my jock. Ish. <laughs> so Peter was released from prison in the early 1950s and was completely reformed and went on to live a peaceful life without any threat to the community. The end. Special thanks. Oh, <laughs> sure. Totally. I fucking wish. I totally believe you. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> Actually, no. Peter went on a killing spree that would span three years and claimed the lives of at least nine victims. Oh, my God. God. Mm -hmm. In 1956, Peter met 17-year-old Anne Neelands, who he dragged to East Kilbride Golf Course, raped and bludgeoned to death with, like, a tire iron. He is just so brutal. Yeah, Mm -hmm. this is nasty. Yep. Although, and we'll kind of get to this, but although he confessed to the murder two years later, the case was subsequently dropped due to insufficient evidence. And we'll go over that in his trial. Oh, my God. He was also still breaking into houses. And one of these break-ins led to an arrest for which he was out on bail in September of 1956. While out on bail, he entered the home of Marion and William Watt and killed Marion, uh, Marion, who was 45, her 41-year-old sister, Margaret Brown, who was just, like, visiting or possibly living with them at the time, and uh, 16-year-old Vivian Watt, Marion and William's daughter. God. They were all killed by gunfire while William was away on a fishing trip. So he Though, had been s- scoping them out, probably. Possibly. I mean, it, that, it's hard to know because he was just breaking into people's houses. Right. So, like, I think he would have done it whether or not William was home. He would have just was killed just, him, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, it's, I think it's more coincidence that William happened to be out of town. So, though Peter was a suspect, the police initially turned to William and put all their efforts into investigating him Oof. while Peter skirted authorities. Oof. Investigators were convinced that William had driven nearly 100 miles through the night, faked a break-in, killed his family, and went back to his fishing trip. Jesus. This seemed plausible because a ferry operator claimed to have seen William on the ferry during the night and like they had to take a ferry to get to wherever he was fishing. Mm -hmm. And another witness claimed to have seen him driving on a nearby road. But and William was arrested and held for two months until the case fell apart due to ever changing stories and confusion among the eyewitnesses who Mm -hmm. couldn't actually confirm whether it was indeed William they had seen or even what car he'd been driving. Okay. Yeah. So it was, like, real loose. I did oh. see a man on the ferry. I saw a man. They wanted to be involved. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So police were still skeptical, especially as rumors of William's extramarital affairs started to pop up. But again, these are still just rumors, so we don't know. Mm. But another murder took place in a similar fashion mere miles down the road, like, a couple years later. And this led them to believe that they had a serial killer on the loose because it's like the exact same M.O. So that is when they finally stopped thinking it was William because they were like, oh. Yeah, so they didn't have any evidence to continue to hold him. They let him go after two months, but they thought, like, police still thought it was him. He was a person of interest for, like, 
years. That's so scary. Can you even imagine? Until Peter was finally caught. Yeah. So then Peter shot and killed 36-year-old taxi driver Sidney Dunn in December of 1957. His body was found in Moorlands in North Northumberland within a few days of the shooting. So he wasn't like hiding his victims at all. He's just dumping them and leaving them or leaving them in their homes where he's killing them. Yeah, he's like manic. He is a fucking psycho. Yeah, so he just like, I don't know, gets in a cab, has him drive him somewhere, shoots him, dumps his body and takes off. Like, it makes no sense. So Peter was never tried for this murder as it occurred in a different legal jurisdiction. But a jury later concluded that he was responsible after a button found in Dunn's taxi matched one of Peter's jackets. Mm. That same month, so December of uh, 1957, Peter stalked, raped, and strangled 17-year-old Isabel Cook, who was on her way to a dance at Uddingston Grammar School. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, it's so fucking this fucked fucking up. fucking monster. It's the randomness of it is one of the scariest parts. Yeah. I really fucking hate yeah, it. Yeah, it's got like Night Stalker vibes. Yeah. Well, he's just so brutal and so frequent and so yeah. random. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah, we'll get to it, but it's really nuts. So he was not initially connected with her murder, but later led police officers to the spot where he disposed of her body, likely in an attempt at skirting the death penalty after he was caught. Mm-hmm. This one is particularly creepy. The Smart family, Peter, Doris, and Michael, were shot dead in their Uddingston home in the early hours of New Year's Day in 1958. Michael Smart was just 10 years old. (gasps) After the crime, Peter remained in their home for nearly a week, eating (gasps) leftovers from their Hogmanay meal. No! Hogmanay. 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 (gasps) Dumping their family car, stealing cash, and even feeding the family cat. Oh! Oh! Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. He spent a week hanging and the family with the dead bodies were in the house. I mean, he didn't like do anything about that. Oh, my God. Yep. Oh, my God. It's so creepy. So this last attack was the one that did him in, though investigators had suspected him for a long time. They didn't have enough evidence to bring him up on charges until a search of the smart family home. Peter Smart had withdrawn several hundred dollars in cash or pound or whatever and cash on New Year's Eve and the serial numbers on these bills because they were brand new bills out of the ATM. Mm-hmm. Like it just or from the bank. It just happened to be brand new matched cash that Peter Manuel was using at local pubs in Glasgow. Mm. So, so he's he, spending their money and he got caught. So either the dad had just happened to withdraw cash and mm-hmm. he and this guy found it. Yep. Or he like held the family hostage and made the dad go get cash. No, we we know that this was cash because we didn't, there weren't ATMs at this time. So Peter like was at the bank. Like that's confirmed that like, so we th- and it was before he was killed. It was like right before New Year's getting that holiday money for maybe oh. going out or whatever. And okay. then he was killed. They were killed the next morning. Like they got, he got this cash like, for New Year's Eve or something. Right. Okay. And that then makes sense. Peter came and killed them the next morning. And then whatever cash was left over, he was using it. But they just knew from that previous withdrawal that these were brand new bills in a sequential order. Right. And so they were able to match the serial numbers to okay. the money that he was using at the pub. So the cash withdrawal makes sense because it was the holiday yep. weekend. And, okay. Yep. Exactly. 
So investigators raided Peter Manuel's family home in Birkinshaw and searched for stolen items from the smart murder scene and arrested Peter and his father for breaking and entering, like just to get him in cuffs and off the street while they finished building their case against him in the remaining murders. Okay. So the police knew Peter really well as they'd been tracking his crimes for fucking decades Mm -hmm. and were aware of his love of attention. So they left him alone in his cell for nearly 24 hours before interviewing him with the intention of like depriving him of attention. Oh, I for love a short that. Period of time. Mm-hmm. So that as soon as they did pay attention to him, he would spill. He would gush. And it worked like they didn't even, he called out to them to come to his cell. That's how like <laughs> deprived after like 12 hours, he was like, come here. That wow. would work on you, Amanda. Absolutely. It totally would. It totally <laughs> can, would. So, can you guys, can, I have something hey, to tell you. I, that's I have, literally I have what happened. I have a secret, though. Yeah. Weird. I have a secret. Come here. This worked, and soon Peter called out from his cell saying he wanted to help police with some unsolved cases. Mm-hmm. I bet you do, buddy. Mm-hmm. Wait he your turn. Yeah. Well, he did, and this tactic really worked. He confessed to killing Ann Neelands, the Watts family, Margaret Brown, Isabel Cook, and the Smart family. Jeez. Some believe that he did this so he would be allowed to see his parents, with whom he had a very close relationship and he was still living with them at home. But it could also be argued that psychopathic killers like Peter need to be the center of the story, center of attention. Yeah. And that, like, their original tactic to just get him to talk just was spot on. Mm-hmm. Wow. The one murder he refused to confess to was the killing of the taxi driver, Sidney Dunn. But as we know, his goddamn button eventually implicated him on that one. Mm-hmm. That's another hot tip. Mm-hmm. Zippers. Button. Zippers only. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or fucking Velcro. Oh. So this is a quote from Crime and Investigation UK. Mm. Opinion was divided about uh, Manuel's mental state. Some say he displayed many of the classic traits of a psychopath, lacking empathy with his victims, showing no remorse, and not accepting that what he had done was wrong. Doctors also described him as having fugue states, Mm -hmm. memory loss, and epilepsy. Those seeking to understand what drove Manuel to kill had to wrestle with some contradictions. He was someone who killed and raped women, yet doted on his own mother. So he didn't have the, like, Ed Gein mommy issues. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, doting on your mom can still be a mommy issue. Oh, totally, totally. Right. It's just not the violent right. ones yeah. that we've seen in similar cases. He was cruel to animals, but was devoted to the family dog and took care of the smart family cat. So weird. This could also he, all just be like an extra layer of manipulation. Like he's an be. advanced psychopath. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. So weird. Um, he couldn't maintain a relationship with a woman, but considered himself as a Lothario. End quote. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But like grandiose fucking delusion yeah. is part of Why it. Why did they arrest his dad too? Yeah, was that's it my question? I think I think his dad, they suspected his dad of um being part of this like breaking and entering thing. Mm. But looking back on it, I think that they arrested his dad mostly to like rattle. Peter, yeah, and that they because they initially only brought them in on charges of breaking and entering just to get Peter off the street, or they released the dad pretty soon thereafter, or they could have been afraid that the dad would like tamper with evidence in the family home or something. Yeah, because the family's really close, so I think that it was mostly like a a false, you know, a red hair, another tactic. Exactly, I think it was a tactic, and they had loose enough 
Uh, I mean, it's, it was the fucking 50s. Like, yeah. what evidence did you super need to just arrest someone right. and question them? And hold them for a day or two. Yeah, 24 mm-hmm. hours, yeah. 48 hours, whatever. So I think that's all that happened there. The weirdest thing about his pattern was its lack of a pattern. Yeah. He had no clear motives in any of these killings except for the sexual gratification of the rape and murder of Anne. He did a, he, was, he did kill two 17-year-old girls. Yes, but he only sexually assaulted one, I believe. That's so weird. It's really weird. He was careful not to be seen, which meant there were no eyewitnesses to place him at the scenes. The method of execution was not consistent at all. Some victims were shot as they slept. Some were bludgeoned as they slept. Yeah. Some were shot like the taxi driver while they were awake. Some were strangled. Some were beaten to death. It was all over the place. There's a hammer. There's a gun. There's strangulation. There's tire iron. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There's a candlestick in the library. There's There's a rope. Shit. So despite stalking Isabel Cook, all of the victims appeared to be random crimes of opportunity, like except for her. I think he stalked that family and knew that the husband was going to be out of town. But then against that very theory that I just said very <laughs> confidently, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he, the other family, he... He didn't care that the dad was home. And Did not give a shit. Yeah. I really think it was a coincidence that William wasn't home. Yeah. And in the case of the Watts family, <laughs> Peter seemed to get Sorry. a six satisfaction. That's, that's what you get for thinking out loud. Yeah. No, I get it. I, I think. But actually, but also actually, the I don't opposite. think that anymore. Yeah. But I'm no, now going to it. refute the exact statement I just said really confidently. And here's why. <laughs> we were in debate. In <laughs> yeah. Most argumentative. Love it. With yourself. And in the case of the Watts family, Peter seemed to get a sick satisfaction out of, like, torturing William, the surviving husband. Yeah. After the fact, because police eventually found letters that Peter wrote. Because Peter wrote a bunch of letters to, like, different potential legal representation, figures in government, like, specifically about this case trying to be like, please represent me. I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. And he also wrote weird letters to William after murdering his entire fucking family. Oh my God. And William initially believed these to be like pretty benign letters because he'd received condolences in the mail after the case had gone so public. Mm. But Peter's letters apparently contained information that only the killer could have known. So it's not like he signed them as him, but he- I think he did. But they were just like, I don't think William believed pieced it together it until later. And I don't, I don't even know if William recognized who this guy was. Like, it's the 50s. If, you know, the, the police knew who Peter was, but like William may not have been paying attention. And this letter is lumped in with all these other letters that he was getting Shit. regarding how famous this particular case got. Oh, how horrible. And so, yeah, like. It's just so fucking fucked up. And these letters would be used as further evidence to his guilt at trial. And the trial was an absolute madhouse. Peter was given the the nickname the Beast of Birkinshaw. Yuck. Which is really creepy. And Peter, 31 years old, and I hate to admit it, like kind of conventionally handsome, mm-hmm. drew crowds that would line up around the block to get a seat in the in like the public gallery That's, for this trial. Ugh, horrible. That shit going down, the, like, fandomania around the fucking Depp Heard trial and how they wait to see them drive away, it just grosses me the fuck out. I hate it. I'm not into that at all. No, not a fan. So 
almost immediately, Peter fired his lawyers and chose to represent himself. Oh, oh my God. It is psychopath bingo. Yeah, yeah. It's like narcissist psychopath bingo. He fucking loved attention. His first tactic was to retract his previous confessions that he had made to the police, claiming that he only did that so the police would back off of his family. Because remember, they had arrested his dad. Once again, from Crime and Investigation UK, quote, the judge rejected his efforts to have them withdrawn and ruled that they could be admitted into evidence. The court heard evidence from the police about the banknotes belonging to Peter Smart, which Manuel had spent in Glasgow, uh, Glasgow Bar in the days after the murders took place. The jury also heard about Manuel's damning confessions and previous criminal convictions. In his defense, Manuel claimed that he had known the Smart family for years and that Peter Smart had asked him to get a gun. He said he had found the bodies and thought it looked like a case of murder-suicide. Mm. And as far as the murder of Isabel Cook was concerned, he had claimed to have been at the cinema that night. Okay, great. It's like that's his alibi. Great alibi. And also pretty hard to be a murder-suicide when you continue feeding the cat after right. your own death. <laughs> yeah, for a week. So the trial lasted 12 days before the jury was dismissed to deliberate. They returned with a verdict in less than two hours, which is always a good sign for the defense. <laughs> after being instructed to, to deliberate on seven of the eight charges, because the judge ruled before dismissing the jury that in the charge of rape and murder of Anne Neeland, there was insufficient evidence to convict. And mm -hmm. this case was thrown out. That sucks. Which, yeah, I can't even imagine how devastating that must have been for Anne's family. Mm -hmm. But... But you don't, at the same time, if they're all lumped together, you don't want him getting off. Yeah, because everything. Uh, yeah, because of exactly. one case. So fortunately, Peter was found guilty on all the remaining charges and he was sentenced to death. But the drama did not end there. Peter spent his last days trying to convince authorities that he was clinically insane and could not face the noose as a result of his mental state. But he wasn't successful. And even his own mother in her final visit to him oh before his execution date slapped him across the face as he faked some kind of fit oh. and, and screamed, you can't fool me. Oh, oh my God. The some drama. love from mommy. I know. The mommy that he doted on and loved so much Those smacked him right across the face. Those were her last words to him. Yup. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that dramatic? I love it. Yeah. So he met his end on July 11th, 1958, and his last words were, turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. Well, yeah. oh. fucking shudders. Jesus. And if you want more of this drama, there is a three-part series called In Plain Sight, and you can stream it, I think, on like Acorn and Amazon. Well, wow. Yeah. Wowza. It's yeah. a lot to process. This is a lot to take in. Isn't that, like, a whole lot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really. so much. Fuck that guy. I mean, he obviously, like, guy. was insane, but just the standard psychopath serial killer insane where he, psychopath like... Psychopath bingo. Yeah, psychopath bingo, where, like, he knew <laughs> it's wrong. Oh, he yeah. He snuck around and, like, yeah. tried to hide it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Amanda. He did his due diligence. Isn't that like a whole lot? A whole lot. <laughs> a I like don't whole know. Lot. 
I don't know how else to explain Jesus it. Jesus Christ, it is Isn't a whole lot. Isn't it just lot. a bit much? <laughs> this one is a bit much. <laughs> Isn't it just It's kind of heavy. Fuck that so guy. Much. Anyway, that's Peter Manuel. Okay, well, <laughs> special <laughs> thanks this week Scottish to- Scottish Yeah. <laughs> special <laughs> thanks this week to our fan picker, Jordan Brown, and their sister slash gateway gal, Kendra. Oh, love it. Also, special thanks to Alexis G, because I just found your note that came with the huge jar of goat bones. Oh, nice. love it. Send us a pic. I need to see this jar. Yeah, I'll put it on the drive. It'll be on the blog. Love it. All right, thanks, well, Alexis. Thanks, Jordan. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.